The winner is Qatar. This is World Cup Insights presented by Pinnacle. Pleased to have you along once again, and it's great to be here as we're a couple weeks into the tournament. We're actually recording this podcast during the final matches of the group stage. The Group D games are going on as we record this podcast, but we'll try to bring you up to speed as to what has played out and where things may be projecting to go over the course of the rest of this World Cup. Gareth Wheeler, Jake Osgathorpe, Andrew Beasley, and Simon Edwards on the ground in Qatar joining you once again. Simon, the coverage uh, coverages look great. How has life been on the ground covering this World Cup in Qatar? Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I mean, I think um, it's really interesting for me to see very strong African, Asian influence in terms of the, the fans which has been really nice, a change, a bit more of a family atmosphere, but there's a lot of uh, Arabic guys here dancing and it shows you don't necessarily need alcohol to, to be dancing, although there is alcohol available and the English definitely fans definitely alcohol available. Yes. Outside, my, <laughs> outside my hotel is a bit of a gathering of England fans, um, so you, you do get the that as well but it's been it's been really interesting um to see the different cultural things it's very convenient to get around to most of the stadiums so um yeah it's different um but i think it's been a really nice atmosphere the mexicans with their jokes have been made in, making a lot of fans uh the argentines passionate as always um so it's been really nice to see a, a different mix of people here at this world cup but i've definitely definitely enjoyed it so far the Mexican support always rides a different level of stress. I remember being at their opening match in 2010 in South Africa in Johannesburg, and it was next to a supporter. And I swear he went through an entire package of cigarettes over the course of 90 minutes. And he was actually smoking them, not actually just eating them. Um, so it, it's kind of funny at this, at this point, because we kind of have a good feel of what certain teams are all about. I, for one, will put up my hand. I had the United States pegged absolutely wrong. I didn't think they had the guts or the bravery to get through that group. Lo and behold, they, they finish runner up in group B. They're moving on to take on Netherlands in the next round in the round of 16. Jake, do you have any regrets? Do you have any uh, takes or, 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 or sentiments that you are just completely wrong on based on the way that things have played out so far? Yeah. The main one would be Belgium. I think we can all agree. Belgium have been um, pretty atrocious at the world cup, uh, just completely disjointed. Um, they look old, they look slow, which is kind of exactly what they are. Um, and, you know, they were really fortunate, or they are fortunate, not to uh, have already been eliminated through two matches. Um, Canada, well, they were really unlucky not to beat Belgium on that in that occasion. Nearly three expected goals for Canada, just 0.9 for Belgium. So it was a very one-sided game in which they somehow managed to lose. Um, yeah, they, they've been really poor, and I fully expect Croatia, uh, particularly that Croatian midfield, to exp expose Belgium once again. And what should really be, um, you know, Belgium back on the plane to Europe. Andrew, any regrets you want to get off your chest? I think my main regret is agreeing to try to predict the scoreline for all 64 matches because uh, I'm not <laughs> I'm not doing very well. There's been a lot of shocks, as you all know, and there's been a few where, you know, a few near misses and things like that. Um, I mean, about in terms of regrets, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think I thought Denmark would be better than they have been, albeit obviously they've played France and perhaps they'll beat Australia while we're recording and, and things will look a bit better for them. 
And I have to say, I underestimated Morocco. Uh, they were very impressive against um, Belgium. I didn't give them much chance of, of getting out of the group, but they're in a they're in a good position to uh, to do so. But um, yeah, as I say, I think there's been quite a few sort of upset results. Uh, some very famous ones, obviously, and um, yeah, it's been it's been a good World Cup. But um, yeah, trying to predict the score lines was was a massive error because uh, I'm not doing too well on that. Uh, anyone have Saudi Arabia beating Argentina? Because I mean, they were plus twenty one hundred pre match, plus twenty one eighty nine at halftime. They came from behind to beat Argentina. They had a four percent chance of winning at halftime, and they went off and pull off that shock upset. Japan beating Germany down a goal pre match plus six hundred. Uh, to win one down at halftime, plus 38-71, and they came back. And Morocco beating Belgium, plus 540 to win. I think, Simon, what we're seeing is that it's not a European-based feel World Cup where these African nations and a lot of Asian nations as well um, are buoyed by some real support, which makes it almost feel like a home game. How is that playing into the way that some of these games are playing out? Yeah, 100%. And I think that Saudi result against Argentina was huge, obviously, for Saudi Arabia. But elsewhere in the region, you know, the local fans, have, you know, jumped on that. And Qatar, obviously, disappointing with their performances. And Saudi have become a popular local favourite. Um, and yeah, I definitely feel that we've, we've seen that support having an impact on the field. Um, you know, it's definitely been a factor, you know, in terms of the weather. Something that's notable, you know, there's been a lot of comments on, you know, is it going to be really hot? Is it not? The air-conditioned stadiums are freezing, like really, really cold. <laughs> um, but basically at 3.30, it suddenly gets cool. But the so the one one o'clock kickoffs, you really feel the intensity of the sun. If you're in the shade, it's, it's, it's okay. But if you've got the sun on you, you definitely feel it. But anything after 3.34, then it's cool. It's like light sweater weather, like literally. So... I think that's been slightly overplayed, although at those early games, there is a, a noticeable difference in, in terms of the feeling and the heat. Um, but yeah, I definitely do feel that, that the local support is. And also, I think there's if there's an African side that emerges, all of the African fans here will get behind them. And I think the same with if, if for example, you know, if an Arabic team um, emerges, they'll get the, the support from a lot of people as well. So I think that will continue to develop. And if one or two emerge, they'll, they'll become the team's representative of their region and there'll be support across the, the countries. All right, uh, let's go around the horn. And now predominantly all the games will be played later in the day as we head into the knockout phase of this tournament. Uh, Andrew, who's been the most impressive team in the tournament for you thus far? Um, probably Brazil, I think. They just look the best balance between defence and attack. I mean, they've given up very little um, at the back. No shots on targets uh, conceded at all yet. Um, Alisson could win the Golden Glove without even having to make a save the way they're going. Um, and, they've, and they've done that while playing two pretty decent European sides in Serbia and Switzerland. Um, you know, maybe not top level teams, but certainly not, what you know, among the weaker nations. So um, perhaps a bit of an obvious choice, but I definitely think Brazil have been the best in view of of who they've played and how little they've given up in defense. Jake, uh, who for you, and perhaps you can bring some of the data, the numbers into the equation as well, and whether the eye test, you know, kind of fits the bill here, or whether you dig into the numbers and it tells a different story. Yeah, well, the, the, you mentioned the Saudi Arabia-Argentina game there. I just wanted to quickly touch on some interesting numbers from that. Um, obviously, the, you know, the, the price had Saudi Arabia at 4% chance of winning the game at halftime. Based on the chances created in the match and the expected goals, they had just a 1% chance of winning the game because um, they created so little. Um, 
Yeah, and it's for, for context, in that match, Argentina had a 3% chance of scoring six times based on the chances that they created. So that was a proper freak result. Um, and I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Argentina beat Poland and qualify top of the group and, and Saudi Arabia to lose to Mexico and, and not go through because they've not been very good, Saudi Arabia, from a, a data perspective, considered over two expected goals in both outings. So um, that's one one thing that, that we've, we've noticed from the data. The best team... Um, for me, would probably be uh, Brazil also. But I think a, a notable mention to France as well because um, I, I've really liked what I've seen from them um, in terms of attacking play in particular. And they racked up over four and a half expected goals against Australia, which is the tournament high at the moment, um, and followed that up with nearly three expected goals against a really strong Denmark defence. So um, they're purring. They're, they're creating plenty of good chances. Um, and I also think, and I, you shouldn't really say stuff like this, but the the injury to Lucas Hernandez at left back has really helped France because I think his brother Theo Hernandez has been playing unbelievably well for AC Milan. He provides them with a much more uh, attacking emphasis down the left hand side, and he seems to have a really good relationship with Mbappe as well down that left hand side. So I think that could be um, kind of a, a, a sort of a positive from a, a really negative situation for France. But yeah, they, they've looked really good to me, France, and, and they're definitely a team I'd look to avoid given the firepower. Well, Mbappe and Dembele look to be unplayable at times, providing so much pace and width in that team. Simon, who for you stands out above the rest? Yeah, I, those for me, France and Brazil. Um, I think a lot of teams in this tournament have had one amazing game and one disappointing game. Um, you, know, you could say England have had a bit of everything, you know, a, a dominant win, a really, really flat performance in the US and then picking things up against Wales. So I think you've seen the good and the bad of most teams. Um, I would say Brazil have been the most consistent. I was at the stadium for their game against Switzerland. And even though the first half was a bit flat, they kind of lacked some creativity. What I noticed is how controlled they were. You know, all of their players can take the ball. They're completely composed. Thiago uh, Silva at the back. I mean, he looks like he's having a kickabout with his kids, you know, just so composed in the ball. Um, and that, for me, is really impressive. They concede, as you say, so few chances. Um, they don't take as many risks as perhaps you'd expect for a team with all the quality they have. And I think they did lack, when Neymar was out of the side against Switzerland, they lacked that that link player. But then you see the players they could bring off the bench and, and step things up. Rodrigo coming in and having a positive impact. So I think Brazil's manager has a lot of weapons but it's also very, very controlled and very composed. Uh, and obviously, as you say, uh, France looking really, really strong. Mbappe um, emerging as the star of the tournament uh, from an attacking perspective. So those for me, yeah, I'd agree those are the two. Obviously, you know, teams like Spain, when it clicks, it's incredible. Uh, but then you say maybe they don't have the goal-scoring threat that they need, despite scoring seven goals. They don't necessarily have that out-and-out number nine, and they really need things to click to get that, to show that, uh, that, that danger in attack. So there's there's a few outside contenders, but I would agree uh, Brazil and France, and then Argentina have been pretty terrible uh, so far. But uh, you know, still looking like they might get through, which is which is at least a positive, I suppose. Brazil is so interesting to me because you're right; they make it look easy. I think after Mbappe, Casemiro might be the best player I've seen play at this tournament. Just Diego Silva making it look easy. Casemiro, right place, right time, every time. It's interesting to me because no mate, no Neymar. Um, they're obviously a different side, Simon, but you can make the argument once the tournament gets more difficult, once they play better competition, they might have to play with three central midfielders anyways. And, and where does Neymar fit in that formation? What, what, what do you make of that? Because that's probably the big question. A lot of that they played 
was very attack minded in that first game of the tournament against Serbia. I'm not sure if they can do that for the duration of the tournament and find success. What do you make of that? Yeah, look, I think Brazil, first and foremost, their success has been built on being completely impossible to break down. And what happens is opposition teams then have to throw more and more and more at them to try and make something happen. And it, and it leaves them open to the counter and with the likes of Vinicius Jr. And it was interesting to be in the stadium with all the Brazil fans. The two most, most popular players uh, on the Brazilian side, Richarlison. Brazilian fans love him. They love Richarlison. You know, he's not the Ronaldo level classic number nine, but his attitude, the way that he really clearly loves the national team and puts in such a shift, he's become a real fan favourite. Um, but it's a really dynamic front three. But yeah, absolutely. I think in the midfield, you have Casemiro is always going to be there. But I think they have a lot of variety and players who can all play that central midfield in a different way. Bruno Guimarães coming in, who's a technical player. Fred, who gets up and down and puts in a great shift. You can drop Neymar a bit deeper. Paqueta, who can play as an eight or as a ten. Um, I think they're all players who can play in a number of different roles, slightly differently. So, And they're all... Neymar, perhaps aside, very solid defensively. So I think you've got the back four, you've got three, two or three midfielders in front, you've got wingers who work hard uh, and a tireless presser in Richarlison. And I think with that Brazil side, you know, the, the potential in terms of the quality and attack is huge, but the, the base level of defensive contribution you get is also really, really high. And that for me is what makes them probably the favourites to win this tournament. I want to drop one other team name. Uh, I'm glad that we brought up Spain because I think that they're very much part of the mix. Portugal jumps off the page for me. Uh, this team, two fairly difficult games to start the group, just the way that they played out. They're convincing to me. They have so much talent. I think this team is balanced underneath Fernando Santos. It's not always, not always going to be the most expansive, but when you have Ruben Diaz and Cancelo, and 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 a wide variety of players in midfield positions and Bruno still having the freedom to to play the way he does winning group h provides at least on paper what could be an easier path to go deeper in this tournament i think portugal jake could put themselves in a very good position for a deep run here yeah, potentially yeah i mean they're in they're in a good position and they, they were fortunate in my opinion to beat uruguay uh yeah, the, the, they were comfortably outplayed in that game. Um, expect They actually lost the XG battle, which included the penalty. And if you take away the penalty, they only managed to, to create 0.5 expected goals, which is a, a really, really poor attacking effort for a team, which, as you said, has, has some really serious attacking weapons. Um, yeah, I, I don't think... I'm still not sold on Portugal. I, I really, I'm really not. I think the way in which they were carved open by Ghana in that opening game was a, was a big concern to me as well. Um they have the players, they have the manager, they have the experience. It's just a case of, it. I don't know, it just doesn't feel like it all fits together for me. And, and I said at the start of the World Cup that I think having Ronaldo in there is a, is a big problem because I think if you if you put Rafael Leao in there instead, they're a much better team in my opinion. He brings so much more to uh, to the to the table than what Ronaldo does. Um, so yeah, that that for me uh, is is my my main issue with Portugal. And and you know. I think they started Pepe against Uruguay. He's he's a good player. Ten years ago, um, you know what is he now? Forty nine. So he's he's getting on. He's not getting any younger. Um, fortunately, he has Ruben Diaz next to him. But I, I think that that's another area of weakness for me. That, that I, um, I like I this. Percy wouldn't trust. I just disagree. I just think that that sometimes you just don't need to play the most 
beautiful football to go win this tournament. Fernando Santos and this team have done it before. I think Ronaldo looks a much sharper player with Portugal than he looked for United. So I, I, I just look at this team and the way that the draw plays out, it could open up fairly nicely for them. I, I, um, I, Sorry, I, I personally would be, I'd be opposing Portugal in the next round. Whether they draw Switzerland or Serbia, wow. I would be opposing them because Serbia got the number in qualifying, obviously toppled them, beat them to, to the top spot in the group, beat them twice. Uh, and I think the Switzerland team are, are a very serious unit when it comes to experience and, and defensive nous. And, and we saw against Brazil that they kept Brazil at bay. I think they'll be able to do a similar number to, to, to Portugal. And we saw them get the better of France in the last Euros on penalties. And I could see them doing similar to Portugal. So for me, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be going anywhere near Portugal, particularly in the next round. Wow. Uh, Andrew, anything else to add in terms of any numbers that stand out for you before we look ahead to some of the key fixtures upcoming and where things may lead from here? Um, just that I think um, Germany have perhaps been better than their results suggested as well on the numbers. Um, they had so many good chances against Japan to put the game to bed and they wasted them. I think they had three clear-cut chances at 1-0 and another one after it had gone one all. Um, so maybe not quite as, as freak a result as the Argentina-Saudi Arabia, but they did deserve to win that game. And I think if you look at the um, expected goals difference per match, they're currently fourth. Um, and so I think they can have a, a decent run in the tournament. You know, they, they obviously should beat Costa Rica and, and get through. So, yeah, I think they've um, they've gone under the radar a little bit, but uh, they were pretty good against Spain and, and unlucky to be uh, unlucky not to beat Japan. Very good. Uh, let's look ahead to some of the crucial fixtures that remain here in the group stage. And let's start with Serbia and Switzerland, since we just brought both up in Group G. Both lost their games against Brazil um, and Serbia played to a thrilling 3-3 draw against Cameroon, one of the games of the tournament thus far. Uh, what do we think here, guys? Switzerland, Serbia, do any of you have a feel or a lean as to who may be and should be favored in this game? Jake, you're, you're nodding, so I'm going to come to you first. Yeah, I, I'm surprised Serbia are, are favorites to win the match. Um, I think I think Switzerland are a better team. I think they've got the more experience. I think they're the, definitely the more reliable defensively. Um, and I just think that there's there's a bit of they need to win the game baked into the price, which is not always reliable. Um, uh, it's it's a massive potential grudge match, derby match, if you like. There's a lot of Swiss players that are, are of Serbian heritage that could get very interesting from a um, you know a thousand bookings perspective. Uh, but I just thought Switzerland, for me, they're the more complete team. They're the more reliable and trustworthy team we've seen. Um, Serbia in their two matches so far, they've conceded two expected goals in both. Um, even Cameroon managed to to make them look a little bit silly in the second half for 10-15 minutes. Um, so yeah, I, I do quite like uh, Switzerland's plus naught on Asian handicap at plus 105, so draw no bet effectively. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, that they'll be able to get the job done and qualify out um, in behind Brazil. Simon or Andrew, either one of you have anything to add there? No, I just thought I was. I thought Switzerland were very impressive the way they set up defensively against Brazil. I think they at times were a little bit. The fans around me were very frustrated. They were so cautious. Perhaps they got into some areas where they could have got it further forward, which is why I think they'll be well suited to get at least a draw. I don't see them giving them many or chances. Serbia have, I think, perhaps more individual quality, particularly in, particularly in attack. Um, but I just think that Swiss team is is very well balanced, which I think uh, will mean they get the result in this one. Andrew. 
All I'll add is that uh, obviously Switzerland only need a point to go through. We saw yesterday Iran and Ecuador could have gone through with a with a point and neither did. So um, whether that sort of angle gives Serbia an advantage. But no, I mean, I, I think Switzerland are the better of the two teams. So, yeah, I would, I would expect them to get the job done. Uh, it, it's not in the lineup, but I just want to add this and the podcast. Let's hope that it's out before this 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 match is played. But Croatia, Belgium, like it's a big game. Like everyone's looking at Belgium as the side that looks to be vulnerable heading into this game. But it's it's not a lock. It's not a given that Croatia even gets out of this group either. That's just a massive tie coming up on Thursday. Uh, what do you make from this one, Andrew? Croatia, Belgium. I know Belgium has been so poor, but. You know, Croatia are steady. They're solid. I don't think that they've been spectacular in fairness. So what do you make of this one heading in? Yeah, it's a tough one to call. It's interesting to see that um, at the time we're recording, both teams are plus 172 to win the game. Like He could not be any closer. Um, yeah, I've not entirely been convinced by Croatia. Um, didn't do a lot against Morocco. Obviously, they did well against Canada, but obviously we know Canada are sort of inexperienced at this level and they did go behind. But then Belgium have been um, have been poor too. So it is a very difficult one to call. I mean, I, I favour Croatia of the two just because of how bad I think Belgium have been. But uh, it would hardly be a su- surprise really if Belgium beat them. Jake? Um, yeah, I, I think I've been quite impressed with Croatia. Uh, I thought they managed the game against Morocco quite well. I, I think that goal of Shaw Morocco is it was actually a really good result um, to put them in a really good position from the first game to to progress and advance. Um, yeah, the fact that it's a pick em, I, I, I probably would make Croatia slight favourites personally, just purely because of Belgium's defensive issues, the, the way in which they were carved open by Canada on the opening opening round of matches. Um, was really concerning. I think Croatia have the tools, particularly in midfield, to to really make Belgium pay. And and the fact that Belgium also have to win the game means that they're going to be throwing bodies forward and, and chasing the three points. And that could could see them picked off with the incisive um, line-breaking passes of Luka Modric and uh, Masha Kovacic and Brozovic. So, yeah, I, I think Croatia are better at plus 172. Yeah. The, the other thing to mention, standing. as you say, the other thing to mention is winning the group, you're probably going to avoid Spain, which... You know, might be in the back of Croatia's mind, and, and and mean that they probably go out to win this game rather than that, draw. That's no guarantee with Morocco playing Canada. And Morocco, you know, could control their own destiny uh, as well. I mean, one of the tiebreakers it's 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 goal differential. Then it's goal scored. The four scored by Croatia puts them in a good position, but they need to go out and win this game. Lukaku, I guess, is going to be back available. Do you actually risk starting him? Does he look fit enough to you, Simon? Like, it seems like Croatia's a side with an identity and they play to it. And Belgium, everything's come apart at the seams. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I think this is an interesting game. It's a game with lots of high quality players who aren't perhaps at their best or perhaps slightly past their best in some instances. So it'll be a, it'll be an interesting game with lots of higher profile players who on their day can be very good but haven't really shown it this tournament. Whether you throw Lukaku in there, Perhaps, perhaps um, it'd be one to watch. And, you know, I think Belgium's back line, as we've mentioned, um, some ageing players in there. It's an interesting game. I think it will be an enjoyable game, but I think both teams will be quite happy that the opposition don't necessarily have that unpredictable, pacey threat, which has been a, a struggle, perhaps with Morocco has provided in this tournament. So, yeah, it'll be one to watch. I think it'll be interesting, interesting game, intriguing game. Maybe not the best game, but an, an intriguing one. Let's see if Kevin De Bruyne shows up to this World Cup. 
He, he hasn't arrived yet. And I'll tell you what, I don't think that Martinez can play Eden Hazard. He's just completely useless. Like when you come into a tournament <laughs> and you say that your best days are behind you, what does that say about what you're providing right now in a critical moment? Just simply hasn't been good enough. Um, the game I'm most looking forward to, Uruguay-Ghana, a Ghana revenge game from 2010. Luis Suarez saving the ball. We all understand how that played out and what that meant for Ghana as the African continent rallied around Ghana around that tournament. Just poof, your tournament came to an end. It's so fitting that Ghana come into this game having won and Uruguay needing a victory in this game against Ghana to go advance. Um, Look, there's no data that you can kind of assess to what this game means for Ghana and what sort of X factor that might mean. But just in terms of the way that the teams have played, I think this Ghana side is better than a lot of people gave them credit for, at least from an attacking perspective, bringing in Williams and Lapti. Like, it's made a difference in this team. It's added some quality. And Uruguay, for me, they need to sort out what this attack looks like. Because I don't think they look like they have many ideas. Simon, you've watched this Uruguay side more than most. What do you make of what we've seen so far in this tournament? Yeah, so if you go back to the last time these teams met, Uruguay had Forlan, young Suarez, um, Cavani, young Cavani. They had Ebreo. They had a lot of attacking quality. And right now, I think the issue is you've still got Suarez there. You've still got Cavani there. But then they're, they're not the players they were. As as you mentioned, Suarez not performing at his highest level, playing in, you know back in the Uruguay. And Cavani as well, obviously still in shape, but not quite uh, competing week to week at the highest level. And then it's the young guys coming through, you know, Darwin Nunez, who hasn't yet, as before the tournament, we're seeing if this would be his moment to establish himself as Uruguay's main man. He hasn't done that quite yet. Um, there Again, 2010, you had lots of experience, Diego Logano, big experienced defenders. And now they're looking a little bit short at the back. So Uruguay have been very flat. Um, for me, it's a team as I said, that's going through changes, but one some of the issues are the guys are still hanging in there. You know, that this may be a tournament too far for them. So it's going to be a difficult decision by the manager. He will take a proactive approach to trying to find a team that, that resolves these issues, that can deal with the threat produced, provided by Ghana. They always switch things up. We saw them playing uh, back three with wing backs in the last game. They could completely change again for this one. Uruguay have quality in that midfield in particular, um, but we've seen so many changes in attack. Um, I, I Before the tournament, I said, look, this team will remain united. The experienced guys, the young guys, they'll be on the same page. But that doesn't mean the, the importance based upon historical records and prestige won't play a role in picking the team. And, and if Suarez is still being picked and Cavani is still an important player, that for me suggests the manager maybe feels a little bit insecure given he's only had four competitive games before this tournament and perhaps doesn't feel in a position to drop the the big stars who've done, been doing it for a decade. So it'll be fascinating to see what the manager does in terms of the system. There's quality in this Uruguay side. They're competitive, but for me, they look very, very flat and disjointed. And as you say, lacking that, that danger and attack. Flat is the perfect word to call them. Any way that their play becomes inflated, Andrew? from what you've seen thus far? Uruguay, yeah, possibly. I mean, it, it's such a contrast of, of how the teams have, have played this uh, in this World Cup. You've got Ghana, who've had a 3-2 win and a 3-2 defeat 
They've had Uruguay nil-nil and then a 2-0 to Portugal, which was a ludicrous penalty and a cross that basically went in, uh, which Ronaldo didn't touch, despite what they're uh, appealing for. Um, so it's a very contrasting mixture. And um, I was sort of thinking yesterday, you know, trying to predict all these games, as I mentioned earlier, I think it could be 4-3 Ghana or 1-0 Uruguay. It's got that sort of potential to it of either absolute chaos or the worst game you've probably ever seen. Um, I like Ghana. I think I've enjoyed watching them and I like what they do. So I think they've uh, they've got the possibility here to uh, to win the game, get a bit of revenge and, and knock Uruguay out of the, the tournament. I think they've been very sort of disappointing so far, Uruguay. As you say, Suarez just so far off the pace and um, Nunes not really being involved enough. So, yeah, I think Ghana could uh, could possibly take this one. I just don't think they have much width, Uruguay. When I when I what. <laughs> It's it's very predictable, and when he's tried to play with the front three, and he started that with Palestri down the right hand side, and the, the, those two players that that are strikers, they play up top. Asking one of them to play down the left just doesn't suit kind of the personnel that he has. Jake, what do you make of this one? It's a crucial tie in Group H. Yeah, I um, I'm really bullish on Uruguay's chances in this game. I really am. Um, I think um, coming into the tournament, one of the things I was saying about Uruguay was that their defence and their defensive figures under Alonso were pretty sensational. I know he only, as Simon said, only had four competitive games in World Cup qualifying, but they conceded 0.6 expected goals against per game across those games. Um, so far in this tournament, 0.7 against South Korea, 0.52 non-penalty against Portugal. So they're not conceding chances. So defence is a strength of Uruguay. Um, as for Ghana, their attack is their strength. They create a lot of chances. But, you know, strength against the strength. And then if you flip it around, Ghana's defences are shambles. Like, they are so easily exposed, it's untrue. They've conceded 4.9 expected goals across those two matches so far. So teams that they've played against have had no problems creating chances. South Korea, over two expected goals. Portugal, 2.6. Um, so I, I know what you're saying about Uruguay's attack looking a bit dysfunctional. This is the perfect get-right game for them because they're playing against a defence that is equally as dysfunctional. Um, and I think that the, the quality of Uruguay will will shine through and, uh, and you know, those they've got those finishes and forward areas that can perhaps take more chances than South Korea managed in the last game. Um, I actually think that Uruguay to win to nil is an interesting bet here. Wow. Plus 185. Um, I, I, like, I, I think it could be a one-nil Uruguay win here because, you know, I just don't see Uruguay making it a really high-scoring end-to-end kind of game. Uh, it's not their style. They rely heavily on the defence, and they know that you know generally, unless South Korea get a, a, a really good result against Portugal, that you know narrow win is going to be enough for them. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see fireworks. I think it'll be very controlled. But one thing is for sure, they will create more chances just because of the defence they're playing against. Uh, just keep in mind if you're looking at the odds on Pinnacle. Um, for teams to advance from the group, Portugal could make wholesale changes like France has done on Wednesday to their team. Basically, it's Rafael Varane and everyone else is new uh, to that starting 11. Portugal can do the same. They've won the group. There's no reward to go on and play some of these players, whether they're on a caution, whether it's to save some legs for the round of 16. So South Korea has been good. They scored two goals against them. Would they win? Perhaps that, you know, just the, a 1 0 win. Um, might not be enough for Uruguay. There's a lot of intrigue in that group and much can happen. And that's typically what we've seen in the final uh, the final matches of these groups thus far. I, I want to touch on Group E quickly. Uh, my favorite bet of this tournament was Qatar losing all three games. Cash that at plus 370. Um, I My second favorite bet was Costa Rica losing all three games. Well, that one didn't cash. As they somehow beat Japan 1-0, 
being in CONCACAF, I saw enough of this Costa Rican side to know that it was Taylor Navis and no one really. Yet they came away with a 1-0 victory. So what are we predicting in this final game of the group? You look at it, Germany's playing Costa Rica. Is it fait accompli here that Germany just runs them? Could we see another scoreline like 6 or 7-0 in this game? Because the Germans, German attack has looked very good. And this Costa Rican side, let's be honest, despite winning that game, is very limited, Jake. Yeah, um, you're ready for some good stats now, Costa Rica. Four shots in total across two matches. Zero corners. They've not had a corner at the World Cup. How, how crazy is that? That kind of shows you just how negative they've been. They've, they've not got anywhere near the opposition box regularly enough to force corners. Um, and through two matches, they've only racked up a total of 0.13 expected goals, which um, is you know the equivalent of Marcus Rashford's finish last night. So, um, yeah, they, they are one of the worst. Well, they are the worst attacking team at the tournament. Um, yeah, I don't really give them much of a chance against Germany because I don't think they're going to score. The only way they're going to qualify really is draw nil-nil and hope that Spain beat Japan. Um, but as you mentioned, Germany have been creating plenty of good chances so far at this World Cup. Um, really unfortunate not to to lose to Japan. 3.8 expected goals created on that occasion. Um, and yeah, they they, they out, out they won the XG battle against Spain as well, which is a really positive kind of step forward for the German side. And I think that they know or they'll have a feeling that if they beat um, Costa Rica by a couple of goals, it's probably going to be enough to see them through because um, you know, Spain will be. I don't think they'll make wholesale changes for for that game against Japan because they'll know the the benefits of finishing top of that group. Um, so yeah, I I think that Germany will win comfortably, maybe two, three, four nil, maybe even seven. You could absolutely see that happening. Um, and yeah, I think Germany, Spain go through. Any argument to be made, Andrew or Simon, that anyone but Spain or Germany will will advance from this group? I, I can't see it. Even though all four teams are alive here, Simon, I think both I think both Spain and Germany will win to to nil, win quite comfortably. Um, when I looked earlier, you could get um, one twenty eight for uh, Spain to win to nil, which looks great to me, and Germany a minus one forty three. So, yeah, that that's what I'm expecting to see. Yeah, hundred percent Germany. I think Japan. They the managers made a few strange selections as well. Some of their better players have been on the bench. Japan, I think are the more likely to to make it competitive. But I think if Germany get an early goal against Costa Rica, that'll be their tournament done and they'll be uh, just hoping for the best for the rest of the game. We have an incomplete puzzle here today when we're putting together what the bracket will look like in the knockout round of this tournament, what the round of 16 will look like. But we can talk about some future markets and some outright winners. I think following our sentiment, Brazil... They've shifted as a pre-tournament favorite at plus 389 to plus 240. France has gone from plus 601 to plus 577 on Pinnacle. Argentina plus 651. It shifted out to plus 827. Um, For outright winner or any of the future markets, whether it's reaching the quarterfinals, whether it's reaching the semifinals or the finals, um, is there any number that stands out to you, Jake, that there might be some value once again, understanding that we don't have a complete picture of what things may look like. Um, yeah, I, I think the France price appeals to me. Um, the fact that they've barely shifted in the in the market, I think, is really interesting. Uh, Six hundred one pre tournament, five seven seven. Now, I, I think their performances warrant being a little bit shorter. Now, um, you know, if you look at Brazil, for example, they've gone from three eight nine to two forty, as you mentioned. Like that's quite a big shift compared to. 
France, and I think we we all agree that France have been equally as impressive. Um, I think England are probably an interesting price as well. I know that they're on a bit of a collision course to play France um, in the quarterfinals, but to see that their price has actually drifted after um, after the victory over Wales was interesting because not only did they win uh, win the group with that victory, but they were also extremely dominant um, and created a lot of good chances in that game. So to see them drift. It's probably just based on the fact that they finished first in the group and, and we'll probably play France in the quarters as opposed to second. But I think that price is um, is big enough to maybe get involved in now because, uh, you know, if you take away the fact that we we are English, we, we do support England, um, the team looks really good. Um, they've got a lot of deep, you know, the deep squad, a lot of quality players, and they've got the tournament experience, which, you know, has to be a factor when it comes to these knockout um situations you know getting to the semi-finals the last world cup and the final of the euros now you're in that in that arena in terms of it just being you know who can hold the nerve effectively most of the time england have got um, a slight edge over quite a few teams um yeah obviously france come into that category as well given that they won the last world cup um but yeah I, I think that those those two for me would be um would be, certainly be of interest andrew yeah, it's hard to argue with that, really. I mean, obviously, the the front, what's looking likely to be the France side of the draw. I mean, obviously, as we say, England in the quarterfinals, but then the other ties are looking like they're going to be Croatia against Germany, Portugal against Switzerland. I don't think France would sort of fear playing any of those teams. Whereas on the other side, you know, Brazil possibly looking at Uruguay and then Spain and then Argentina to get to the final. I mean, that is a tough, a tough route to uh, to get there. Um, so yeah, I think with with the prices as they are, France probably makes a lot of sense. I think Argentina drifting as well is is slightly interesting because uh, you know I think they've been better than their results as we've said. Um, so it, it might be the time to get on them now um, before the for the knockout phase begins. But um, it's looking like France are going to have the easier side of the draw in terms of who we've seen this tournament. So yeah, they're they're looking like a good bet at the moment. What about you, Simon? Uh, so uh, I understand England in these these tournaments they get the job done cautious but um, Senegal to get to the quarterfinals I think that's not bad odds you know I think Senegal will be a harder game than Holland for me for England in terms of I think Cissé is a really good manager they've got a lot of pace on the counter uh, Harry Maguire at the back has been very good maybe England's best player in some ways but he's still having Maguire up to some up against some very quick counter-attacking Senegalese players. I think Senegal to make the quarters is a decent shout for me. Um, I don't want to be pessimistic on England, but I was at that US game and they got massively outplayed against the US. Um, so, you know, I can see perhaps some counter-attacking danger. England aren't creating a huge amount of chances. I mean, they are, but I think there's a lack of creativity despite all the goals they've been, been putting in, particularly in midfield. So, you know, Senegal, I think that's not a bad shout to get through to the quarterfinals. Senegal are a good team. Aliou Cisse, like, I think one of you said it in, in our in our pre-tournament. Yeah, you did, Simon. Like, <laughs> I, I, I liked him as a player. He's probably a better manager than that. He's transformed this team from, um, you know, just a team that would play a little bit loose, um, maybe a little bit too quick, lack of discipline at times. This midfield is very difficult. And the one thing in this tournament – that we failed to see is teams take advantage of set pieces. Typically, it's a de- it's a decisive element of the game each and every World Cup. Guess what? Senegal has been very good at set pieces, one of the very few teams. I have some real concerns about England's style, not the players that they have in their team. 
if I'm Gareth Southgate, I need to have Rashford and Foden in my starting 11. I just do. They provide some goals and some creativity that, you know, Sack and Sterling are fine and Mount, but but those Rashford and Foden bring something different that help complement Harry Kane a little bit more to me. So, Simon, I think that's a fair shout. I don't think this is an easy game whatsoever for England. I think as well to be when I was at the the, the US game, you see the movement and nothing happens in the middle of the field. There's nobody behind Harry Kane. Mason Mount drifts out wide. So there were times when there's three England players in the same passing lane. Mason Mount um, with the right right wing back. Uh, there's lots, you know, there's just such overloading in the wide areas, which is great when it works. But there were so few runs in behind. There were so few players dropping into space, players occupying the same area. And look, England have done amazingly well um, focusing on the wide areas, getting the ball into the box, pulling the ball back. It's worked incredibly well in terms of the results, but I wouldn't be afraid facing this England team um, because you know what they're going to do. You know where they're going to go. There's there's no uh, creativity. That game was crying out for Phil Foden, and it'll be interesting to see if Foden has won himself a space in the, the starting team because someone dropping into that hole, there just wasn't anybody there in front of the defence. So if you know everything's going wide and you can kind of close that down, keep men out there, then um, I think there's potential to counter. And I think, think England provide a great deal of creativity. We know the other uh, round of 16 fixture between the winner of Group A and the runners-up in Group B, Netherlands and United States. Is Louis van Gaal in the Netherlands being disrespected here? Because he's being questioned in his press conferences about this boring, drab style of play. Well, that's how Louis van Gaal's sides play. We we all kind of know about that. We also know that since he's took over the Netherlands, they're undefeated. They haven't lost a game. 13 wins and five draws. They play the United States, who've done well to get here. Hulasik had a nasty sounding injury, and McKenney can't play 90 minutes. His leg is wrapped up like Robocop. It's just that minus 105 Netherlands to win. It seems a pretty good shout to me. Um, unless you like the draw at plus 234, it wouldn't be anything new for the Dutch going to penalties in a knockout round game in a major tournament. Um, how do you evaluate that one, Jake? Um, I'm disagreeing with you again. Uh, I think, the, I think yeah, we do quite disagree all the time. <laughs> um, uh, it's why we're best buddies. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that this USA team would have posed some really ish, interesting questions of this Netherlands team. Um, we saw how well Ecuador played against the Netherlands and how unfortunate they were not to win the game. Um, limited Netherlands to just 0.14 expected goals, which is a really, really low total. Um, Ecuador were they played a high intensity, high press in your face style, um, and USA play a very similar kind of foot, uh, football. And um, yeah, I think that they, they've got the potential to cause some real issues for the Netherlands. I know there's some question marks around key players that you just mentioned there, but as a team, um, I think the USA have probably been underestimated. Um, I know you, you guys are talking about how how England were rubbish in, in that game against the US. The US were good, like they they yeah. played really good football. They pushed England back. Um, and I think it got to about 60 minutes in England, just probably, or Southgate just turned to, to, to his team and just said, right, well, a draw is not a bad result. <laughs> it's just, let's practice some defending. Um, and, you know, that like, like I, I wasn't personally getting overreacted. Um, there might have been some tiredness as well, because England played in the in the early game in, in, against Iran uh, first up. But, yeah, I, I thought the US were really good in all three matches, bar a 20-minute spell against Wales at the end, where they couldn't deal with the direct ball to keep them all. Uh, they seem to sort that out for the Iran game because Iran kind of played quite a direct style. Um, so I, I think the USA have got a really good chance of causing a bit of an upset there. Andrew. 
Yeah, I was, I was going to say the same thing. I think USA have been very impressive. Another team I probably underestimated a little bit. And, I, and I've been disappointed with, with Netherlands. I mean, they were outshot 15 to 2 by Ecuador, which I don't think anyone would have predicted. Um, and I, I guess it was somewhat similar to England, the way they played in the sense of like, well, we've won the first game. As long as we don't lose the second game, we should be OK. And I guess that's fine to a point. As you say, it's what we would probably expect from, from Louis van Gaal to play that sort of thing. But um, while I would expect Netherlands to get through, I think USA have got a real good chance here of making the quarterfinals. I just, I, I, it, Simon, you were at the USA-England game. They played a conflicted Iranian side and a Welsh team that was like a million miles off the pace. I I think playing in a game against the Netherlands where there might be very few chances. I just, do the United States have the kind of attack that's going to be able to capitalize against some of the best center backs in this tournament? And I do rate every one of the center backs on the, on the Dutch. I, th- I just think the U.S. is going to have a really hard time breaking them down. Yeah, I agree. I think it will be will be a challenge, and there isn't that out and out goal score for all the quality the US have behind. Um, they don't have that standout number nine, and, and perhaps their defence, uh, if they're exposed at all, you know, that they're, they're in, individually and not the, the strongest in the world. Um, but I do like what the US have been doing, and and they do they do play with some nice shape. There's some good players who can really carry the ball. Uh, obviously. A lot of the teams, the team is very young as well. You know, they'll be looking forward to the next World Cup, um, and I think they'll potentially be better then. But I think Holland is similar to England. I think, um, yeah. which I don't know, is a compliment or an insult, but they're they're a team that's very secure, very solid. Again, I think the US, uh, sorry, Holland perhaps lack that out and up number nine. I think Memphis coming back in as well gives them something extra. Um, so I, I can be persuaded either way on this one. I think. Uh, my my two future plays, and I just have two of them, just to completely spite Jake, Portugal, yes, to the semifinals on Pinnacle at plus 190. Look, with all due respect to Serbia, Switzerland, I think they can get past them. The winner of Group F, whether it's Morocco, Croatia, Belgium, playing the runners-up Germany, although their attacking model is very good defensively, they're an absolute nightmare, Germany. I think that that's an that's a, a reasonable path for Portugal to at least make the semifinal, as well as Brazil to reach the final. Plus one fifty three. Okay, they're by far and away the best team that I've seen, the best and most well rounded side that I've seen. I'm not sure if anyone can stop them on their way there. So those are my two future plays. Um, anything else to add from any of you? We'll go around the circle. Simon, anything else in terms of a future play for you, Andrew, Jake? Um, well, we didn't we didn't mention the golden ball, the top goal scorer. You know, I think I hinted a little bit at Lautaro Martinez. Yeah, hopefully no one no one picked up on that again because yeah. well, depends if you're counting goals or offside goals. That's true. Yeah, he, he was halfway there, um, bar aside in the first game. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I think Mbappe for me looks like a, a good shout for for the golden the golden ball. Um, be interesting to see what happens there. Obviously, Messi. Um, hasn't you know hasn't put a great uh, case for that one yet so far and Argentina not really creating but perhaps some messy heroics um it's a bit depressing that he's the most likely player to score for Argentina um and it looks like the only hope that they have at the moment so perhaps uh perhaps that means that he's in for a shout with that one but um for me Mbappe I think is is a really good option for for top scorer in the tournament 
And if you go the style of Jake Osgathorpe, um, Mbappe to win the golden ball plus 275, a little bit more juice than Mbappe winning the golden boot at plus 245. So um, if he gets one, he will probably get the other. If France ends up going on a deep run and potentially going on to win this tournament. Uh, Andrew, any other future play, whether it be golden boot, golden ball or futures or the outright markets? I think the uh, golden boot market is really interesting just in the sense that um, Mbappe scored three times from 13 shots, Rashford three from nine, and Gakpo, who a lot of people talk about, has scored three times from four shots. So uh, I can understand why his price has come right in um, off the back of scoring three goals, but I wouldn't be counting on him to score um, too many more. So um, Mbappe looks the, the best bet for me there. The golden ball is always a bit of a strange one. I mean, you know, Kevin De Bruyne admit, admitted himself he got man of the match probably for his name as much as, you know, more than anything he did in that game against Canada. That's true. Um, but strange thing as well with the golden ball. I mean, you have to go back to 1994 and Romario for the last winner of the golden ball who played for the winner of the, the tournament. I think they often announce it before the, the final. So it's something of a coincidence. But um, you might find somebody who sort of drags their team there more likely to be rewarded than the than the outright best player. But um, yeah, I think uh, someone like Messi is obviously a, a good shout in the golden ball market. But um, yeah, just with the golden boot, I would I would avoid Gakpo, certainly. Jake? Yeah, yeah, same same thought path for me. Um, I still think Messi is the bet for the golden ball, plus 550. Um, I think that, yeah, Argentina are going to go as far as he can carry them effectively um, from what we've seen so far. Um, everything runs through him. Moments of magic. Uh, that was a big difference in the in the Mexico game, um, and yeah, I, I'd also be looking at Argentina to win the tournament still at plus eight two seven. They've drifted a little bit. I know they've got some work to do in that game against Poland tonight, but um, you know, generally to win knockout competitions, you've got to be really strong defensively, and and they have been exactly that. Their expected goal figures for their two matches so far have been ridiculously low. 0.15 against Saudi Arabia, 0.19 against Mexico. So they're not, they've not conceded barely any chances so far. And, and just two really good finishes from Saudi Arabia um, of, prob- of well, I mean that they're not currently sat top of the group and probably already qualified. So um, there's, there's lots of work on in forward areas for Argentina, midfield as well. But generally, as a team, they are very difficult to break down and beat, which tends to to, to be a very good sign when you get into the knockout rounds. I think on Argentina as well, what you can say is there's good reason to believe that they can become a lot better than they are right now because they've done it for two or three years. This is this is the worst I've seen Argentina since the last World Cup pretty much. So um, while that's obviously a massive concern, they've done enough to get where they are right now. I expect them to get through the group and there's a big upside, I think, um, with Argentina potentially if things come together. Also on the golden ball, um, Neymar... Obviously, we have to see with the injury, but he's gone way down, what, plus two, 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 two thousand two hundred. Um, so that's an interesting one as well, I think, because, um, yeah, obviously, if he gets to the knockout rounds and he's decisive, then that could be a really good shout. Also, Vinicius Jr., I think, as well, um, if he he can make the, the, the difference, if, Argentina, if Brazil against the stronger sides are being solid, looking to counterattack, then Vinicius Jr. will be the, the big outlet there. So if he scores two or three goals in the knockout round, then he could make a late charge for that one. Only thing I have to add, um, and it's kind of funny because Argentina is playing later today. This podcast probably will be coming out after Argentina plays. Um, I'd be recommending if you could hop in a time machine and go back in time, uh, Lionel Messi at plus 781 to win the Golden Boot. He came in at plus 1449. <laughs> 
he, against Poland, he might light this team up today. He takes penalties. I look Bra- I look at Brazil, their goal scorers, it's going to be spread around the bunch. I don't think there's just that one focal point. There's some real value at Messi at plus 781. Uh, I have a futures play of shots on target for Messi. He's leading the tournament in shots on target um, th- through two games played as well. Uh, that one just jumps out to me. And I like Spain, the way that this team attacks. And I know that Morata came off the bench and he's a little bit of a donkey at times, but Morata at plus 1977, <laughs> like I, I just look at him as the, the reliable player. He's kind of like the player that Germany doesn't have either, but a player that for what he does is reliable as they have when it comes to a player that can put the ball in the back of the net. Is Spain are going to do something in this tournament? Morata at plus 1977 uh, to go on and win. The, the golden boot, it, it works for me. I don't love the player, but I love his profile in this team. So those are the only two things that I have to add. Uh, final words as we go around the table. I know, Jake, you looks like you want to weigh in. Yeah, I, I think Spain are a very interesting team because they're, you know, they generally are, as Spain have been over the last 10, 15 years, one, a very possession dominant side. Um, the, the midfield three of Busquets, Gavi and Pedri, I think, is, is a real plus because they all play club football together, so they all know each other um, inside and out. Um, yeah, my issue or whatever is with Spain, but also at the back. I mean, he's playing Rodri at centre-half, which I think is a recipe for disaster. Um, it's a calamity waiting to happen. I think it was uh, the game against Germany where there was a cross came in from the left or right-hand side, and he obviously sent at centre-half, supposed to go meet the ball, He's played it like he was a holding midfielder and just stood and waited for his centre-half to come get it and then realised, oh, I'm the centre-half. Um, and, you know, that that kind of thing, I think, will catch up with them when they play better teams. Um, and, you know, it, it shows you that he doesn't trust any of his other defenders. I mean, to be fair, who would trust Eric Garcia? <laughs> a final word to you, Andrew? Yeah, not too much to add. I think I'm um, still a little bit uh, sceptical of, of England's chances. Obviously, their, their struggles against um, World Cup winning nations in knockout games is well documented. I think it's one win since 1966. So I can't help thinking that, um, you know, they may get past Senegal, but I think France will end their run there. But um, no, just overall, it's just it's been an enjoyable tournament so far. And obviously, the, the goals tend to drop down once you get into the knockout phase. But obviously, the games are, are you know, a lot more interesting and stuff. So uh, yeah, fascinating to see how it plays out from here, really. And Simon, the real final last word goes to you. <laughs> no, no, I, I just I agree. I think it's been really interesting. And, and I think there'll be less surprises, probably. Um, there'll be, you know, <laughs> there'll be bigger, bigger <laughs> matchups, bigger matchups and, and knockout football. Yeah, I think it's been it's been good. And I think it's getting down to business now. And it'll be, be fascinating to see how things work out. Yeah, the totals market's going to be an interesting one as well. Things tend to tighten up. Uh, teams, you know, playing not to lose rather than to win come the knockout stage. We'll make sure that we dig into all of that once we have a clear picture. After the round of 16, there's no break between games, between the groups, the group stage and the round of 16. They will take a pause after that. And then at that time, we'll look ahead to the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and where this tournament goes from there. Uh, Simon, where can people follow your work? So on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. Andrew, yours? Space tuned to Red on Twitter, but just ignore any of my score predictions because I'm having a nightmare, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> Brilliant. You can follow my baby on Instagram. He's doing fairly well over the course of this tournament. Uh, 12, uh, 12 wins, 14 losses. That's good in a three outcome tournament. So, and he's uh, 
13 months old, so he can do better than all of us combined. Uh, he might have a future. Pinnacle might start calling him early. Uh, Jake, where can people follow you? Uh, Twitter at JakeOz2Z uh, and supportinglife.com is where I write all my stuff at the moment. Brilliant, guys. Uh, this has been great. Enjoy the rest of the group stage and enjoy the rest of your tournament. On behalf of, uh, of Simon, Andrew, and Jake, I'm Gareth Wheeler, and this has been World Cup Insights brought to you by Pinnacle.